Hi everyone, Pete here. Just wanted to say that while this episode is clean like all our episodes are, we do discuss sex and sexuality. So, if you happen to have younger listeners with you, and you haven't yet had that talk with them, this might be a good episode to skip. Or, at the very least, skip the middle section of the episode. Alright, with that disclaimer out of the way, I hope you enjoy this 29th episode of Did You Do Your Homework? I thought File Not Found was the topic. I was very excited. <laughs> We're going to hit all the great ones. 404 <laughs> errors. Blue screen of death. Ooh, yeah. I am a website guy, so... Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast where we uh, sign homework, hopefully make it fun. I'm Pete Romberg, and today I am a finally uh, a successful dungeon master after running a D&D game last night. All also, right, was that your first one? No, no, I've, I've run it for a while. Like, I've, I've DM'd many oh, times in the past, okay. but I thought uh, so. it's been a long time, so like that itch finally got scratched again. Um, nice. Also, now I'm 30. Happy birthday! Ooh. I'm mad at you because I didn't know it was your birthday. Why didn't you tell me? I keep it low key usually. Like this year, I did a big thing only because it was like thirty. But usually, I'm like low key with the birthday. Um, so already doing a great job coming in as usual is my fellow co-host. Uh, I am Martha Sullivan. Today I am a squid kid, uh, and also mad that I have to be a weekend librarian today. Oh, boo! Squid mm -hmm. kid would be Splatoon. Splatoon 2! Cool. Out on Switch! Cool. Most fun thing ever! Great. I'm not a pirate because I haven't gotten into Sea of Thieves quite like my husband has, but <laughs> me and my uh, me and my Splatoon gun are doing just fine. <laughs> nice. Uh, and joining us today for in our third chair, already piping up, which is great, is uh, Austin Delmond, my friend from up in Milwaukee. Uh, Austin, introduce yourself. Hello, uh, my name is Austin, and I am a... Human wild magic sorcerer. Oh, actually, that was last night. I was in Pete's game. He did a fantastic job. Uh, I'm a Jayhawk fan and a digital farmer today. Cool. So today we're going to be talking about niche communities, uh, which came from Austin getting into speedrunning. Um, also, this is a podcast in a way, its own niche community, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, before, however, we, we dive into all that and discuss our homework, it's only fair that we share with you our credentials. These are the things we have consumed most recently, not edited for quality assurance. Uh, Martha, we'll start with you. Uh, so my recent one is not actually Splatoon. My most recent one is not actually Splatoon 2, uh, although I have been playing that. Um, my most recent piece of pop culture is the new book by Philip Pullman, the author of the His Dark Materials stories, books, Books is a better word. Books is a better word. Um, yes, uh, which you all may be more familiar with as the Golden Compass uh, trilogy of books. Uh, these came out, I remember reading them when I was in like fourth grade, I think, was mm -hmm. when number two came out and then number three came out a few years after that. Um, these books might have been more emotionally important to me than Harry Potter. So when I found out that uh, Pullman was writing a new trilogy called The Book of Dust. 
uh, I got both very excited and very worried because sometimes when authors revisit beloved worlds, things don't turn out super great. Um, J.K. Rowling. Uh, <laughs> but the first book, uh, La Belle Sauvage, takes place before uh, The Golden Compass. Lyra is a little baby, uh, and it is delightful. It is a little bit less um, edgy, I think. It's a little bit less about, like, the deconstruction of the church and more of a straightforward adventure story. But the world feels right. It feels like a return to the world that I loved so very, very much in the Golden Compass books. And I'm just delighted to be reading it and delighted that I get to return to this world. Uh, His Dark Materials might be the only or might be the first books that I read where I was like physically distressed that they weren't real. (laughs) So getting to read more in this world has just been a lovely experience. I, I think it's been recorded on the podcast before that I also deeply love his dark materials. Um, it's the first book series where I distinctly remember having finished books one and two and three wasn't out yet. And I was like confused and <laughs> very like betrayed, betrayed, like, betrayed a little. Like, I can't just yeah. go read the next one right away. Um, what do you mean? <laughs> and I, I also distinctly remember as soon as the third one came out, uh, The Amber Spyglass, I like... I reserved it at the library and went and picked it up. And I feel like they had to order it from, like, a different library. Like, I remember it being a thing when I was finally able to get my hands on it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I love that series, and I'm super looking forward to reading La Belle Sauvage. Yes. Uh, also, just quick side note about his dark materials. The BBC is currently in production talks to do an eight-part miniseries covering all three of those books. Uh, produced and starring, uh, produced by and starring Lin Manuel Miranda, and starring the little girl from Logan as Lyra. Yeah. So wow. if that you needed, awesome. if you needed a delightful way to start your day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think Lin Manuel is playing at least Scoresby, which will be like correct. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. He's a little young, I think, but also I love him, so I'm not complaining. Um, I don't think it's definite yet. The last thing that I read about it was that it was still in production talks. Uh, But all of those details are so very definitive that I'm hoping that this actually comes to fruition. Because I think I've always been mad it didn't get a better shot at an adaptation. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, Austin, how about you? What is your pop culture credential? My pop culture credential, uh, and like any day this past week, this probably would have been it because I've been obsessed with it, is uh, Stardew Valley. It's a farming yeah. video game. I am very late to the party, uh, but Me I... Too. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was my credential a couple weeks ago. Oh. Um, I, I bought my husband a Switch for Christmas, so we've like just been kind of discovering all of the really great uh, games. And I know Stardew Valley has been out for longer on PC or whatever, but for me, it makes a really wonderful handheld game. And yeah, yeah I've just, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on the late to the party. And I'm also with you on how amazing it is. It is. It is one of those games where it's like, why do I like this so much? Why am I thinking about this? Why am I like whistling the music as I'm making my coffee in the morning? (laughs) Why can't I stop playing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I've been having a real blast with it. It is like the opposite of a speed running game because you are like locked into game time. As I say that, there's probably a speed run 
online that someone totally broke this game. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've really been liking it. It's it's really just enjoyable and, and fun and calming and everything like that. Cool. Uh, I, I have nothing to add because I've never played Stardew Valley, but uh, I laughed a lot when I saw that it was your credential. Um, yeah, because mm. Martha had it herself. Um, for me, uh, because the homework I assigned was a uh, book by John Darneal, um, I've been listening to The Mountain Goats. Also, because the podcast I Only Listen to The Mountain Goats is still coming out with episodes about every week. Uh, and, and they're, also, having a, they're having a live show in Chicago, people. I know. It's in May. I'm debating whether I go or not. Uh, but I, I, I've loved The Mountain Goats since high school. I've been listening to the most recent album, Goths. Which, uh, I'm a little hit or miss on it. Um, it's a very different sound than their other albums, and some of it's very catchy, and some of it I don't think quite worked. Also, it's about a subculture that I don't care about or have, like, almost any touchstone in, so many which references are just... What's the subculture? Oh, Goths. Ah. Which is, yeah, the name of the album and the subculture it's kind of about. How did you not go through a goth phase in high school? Didn't everyone do that? No, I was doing like the the awkward nerdy thing instead. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. you were goth you were goth adjacent. Yeah, but like never never into like the gothdom. I I feel like awkward nerddom, which was a subculture that I was heavily as heavily part of in high school as well. Yep. It's like it's being goth without caring about your clothing, I think. Exactly. I, I agree with that. Well, I think that's where I was at. I was like, why do I have to buy these weird pants to hate things? Yeah. <laughs> these jinkos. Um, uh, yeah, like, like the thing is, like, I, I never got into, the, like, the hate things or the dark, you know, side of gothness, really. So I, I was like... You were a happy nerd. Yeah, exactly. Also, I went to high school with Pete, so can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, you, you had, like, not a serious goth phase, but, like, a light... A- yeah, I was definitely I was I was goth light, and mostly it's because everyone looks good in black. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially awkward high school kids who don't know what they're doing with clothes. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> All right. Um. So transferring from goths, which is one subculture, into uh, a whole conversation about many subcultures or niche communities. Um, that's what our topic is for today. That was a non-labored segue. Um. So we're going to be talking about niche communities. We're going to be looking at what defines a niche community. Um, if these niche communities are inherently good, inherently bad, deserving of the stigmas that they may or may not have. We're going to be looking at how the internet may or may not be revolutionizing these communities. Is the impact of the internet overblown or not? And we're going to be looking at how does our homework reflect a sense of community? How are our um, how are they reflective of the communities that they are representing? Uh, we assigned three homeworks for this. Austin, since you're our guest, how about you go first? Give us a quick rundown of what you assigned, and we'll talk about it. Uh, so I picked uh, a speed run for my homework. Um, it's a Star Wars Jedi Knight Jedi Academy run by a runner named Covert Muffin, and he gets it done in 45 minutes, uh, beats the whole game. It's from AGDQ 2018. Um, and so that, that was the homework, but generally I just wanted to explore this speed running thing that I found out about maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago. Austin, um, real fast. Can you break yeah. that acronym down for our yes. viewers or our listeners? Yeah. 
Absolutely. So AGDQ is Awesome Games Done Quick. There's also Summer Games Done Quick, SGDQ, and they're events uh, that occur each year uh, for the past couple of years now where speedrunners get together and they raise money for charity. Um, it's usually like a, a Prevent Cancer Foundation or Doctors Without Borders, um, a pretty good organization. Uh, yeah, so I, so I picked the speedrunning thing because I'd gotten really into it. And essentially what it is, is people find ways to run games really quickly, uh, beat them sometimes with glitches, sometimes without any glitches, um, you know, and initially I just thought it was just getting through Mario really quickly, but there's Pokemon runs, there's Tetris runs, there's all kinds of stuff out there. And how yeah, can you do a become... Tetris run? How is that even a thing? The you Tetris speed up. You can speed up the, Petri the Tetris display. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm just like, I feel like that's a game without an end. It's, uh, there is ends. Um, I think it might be one specific thing. This was one I just recently looked at and it was really entertaining and really exciting. And, um, that's kind of a, a piece of the speed running too, is it, it's starting to feel like, oh, this is sports too. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the Tetris run is extremely impressive. They, they run these games called Tetris Grandmaster Editions, which I think is what the company who owns Tetris started to make once people were like regular Tetris is easy. Mm. Um, so they made these, uh, additional games that make it really difficult. Um, I think I, I, everybody should go watch it. It is impressive. Uh, nothing I can say will make it less impressive, but the Tetris one specifically ends with a person perfectly completing Tetris's in rows where you see the block coming down, but once it lands in place, it becomes invisible. And it is coming down like block, 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 block. And this guy is just like clearing stuff and it it's crazy. Wow. So I I was glad that you chose uh, Jedi Knight, Jedi Academy. I had never played that game, but I had played the game before it as a kid. Um, I think that's Jedi Knight 2. And I remember really liking it because Star Wars and also that it was really glitchy and... I, like, could only beat it by putting in a bunch of cheat codes and stuff. Um, so then watching this, I was like, yeah, it's, like, the same kind of glitchy, messed up game. Um, only they're taking advantage of the glitches. Yeah, exa yeah. exactly. Um, that being said, like, because it's a speedrun, I had no idea what was going on at almost any point. So I am going to be very candid with you, Austin. Uh, when Pete... When Pete told me what you wanted, both what you wanted to assign and what you wanted to talk about, my first reaction was, why? <laughs> uh, because I like I had heard of Awesome Games Done Quick, um, and I had heard of speedrunning, but I had never thought of them as a community activity. I was like, this is just something people do, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so clearly I had never watched one. Um, but I did a little bit of reading about them before I watched the video and then watching the video was pretty enlightening. For, I did not realize, like I legitimately didn't understand that it w it's a group activity, like in a way that I had not really been able to conceive of before learning a little bit about it. Right. These, so, these guys rent out a, a hotel in Minnesota, uh, you know, for, for their events each year. So it's like a conference. Well, but even beyond even beyond the spectator sport nature, like it's Covert Muffin, but he also has a coach who's helping him. And 
um, reading about the forums that people go on to like share glitches and share tips and like help people kind of set up for these runs and how like speedruns are made better the more that people figure out how to break the game. Like I, I did not know. I, I had thought of speedrunning as like, oh, it's just people getting really good at a game and then finishing it really fast. So yeah. I thought actually watching, learning a bit about how somebody goes into that and gets into it and then watching him do his run, explaining as he's going all of the like exploits that he's using uh, was fascinating. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the reasons why I picked this run in particular. Um, you know, it's it's not an eight-hour Final Fantasy run, so it's a little bit digestible. Um, and I think Covert Muffin is uh, maybe not my favorite speedrunner, but he is entertaining and energetic, and he explains some of the stuff. So I thought it was a good kind of way to dip your toe in the water. Um, but I, I, I totally agree. I, I did not think this was a community thing. And then the more that I started watching them, you know, you get to know people, you see people in the background, you see people who run different games and they make references to each other and they have their to their own like uh, jargon and, and lingo. Um, and I think just as you mentioned, there's 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 a whole I don't know, I, I guess I don't know any other way to say it than a community. There's there's people who um, do like bot assisted runs, which is where they are like pausing and advancing the game frame by frame and they figure out how to break these games and then there are runners who who do it kind of all in one go and there's people who just watch and people who participate and people who find hacks and it's yeah it's it's very impressive to me i feel like well and and all of the all of the sorry pete just one one Mm -hmm. quick thing Mm -hmm. all of the sharing of information i thought was really interesting because Mm -hmm. gamers are i think i don't think it is wrong for me to say that gamers are naturally very competitive (laughs) Right. Um, and speedrunning kind of lends itself to like, oh, I did this faster than you. But there is such a willingness to share information and share methods and, uh, you know, share hacks and tricks and stuff that I thought was really cool to see. Because it feels like it could have been, it could become the kind of thing where it's like, well, I did this and I'm not going to tell you because I don't want you to break my record on it and like that doesn't seem like the spirit of it at all yeah it's it's not and i think a lot of times it's someone who doesn't have the world record who's finding a new trick and sharing it with the whole community and they have almost no ambitions of being the world record um again i should say i am not i am just a uh, a fan and kind of an outsider looking in at this point still with speed running so uh, don't take my my word as law but yeah i think it, it's that's what really impressed me is especially when you add money to it with these charity events, you get it, it kind of helps cement that because you'll have like rivals uh, in the speed running, you know, like the one and two place world record and they've been trading places for months or years or whatever. One of them's doing a run and the other one donates a thousand dollars like, oh, I hope you, you know get good RNG, uh, which is like that you get good random numbers generated um, and that you make it through this run and stuff like that. It's it's very collaborative and, and fun. So it, it was actually the money angle that that was most interesting to me. The idea that these guys are, um, you know, putting this this hobby of theirs uh, to really good use um, in in the speed run that you, you know, uh, 
assigned, I think it was like $35,000 that they raised, like in that one 40 minute span, um, going to, I, I think this was a, a cancer charity. Um, and, mm-hmm. and they do it by having it be, um, you know, th- there's lots of sort of like raise money and vote on which outcome you want to happen. So like by donating, right. you get to vote or, or like which, whichever side raises more money, that's what the gamer will do at the end. Um, and that's a really cool way to, it kind of is the, the huge scale, you know, uh, coffee shop, two dueling tip jars idea. Um, uh, but then like, you know, blowing it up and making it for like doctors without borders or for a a cancer charity. Um, and I think that's just a really great and positive way to take, you know, what, what you guys were saying, sort of what could be a solo competitive, uh, situation where it's all against all and making it, um, you know, much more collaborative and, and coming out with a really good cause for it. So, uh, when you mentioned that part, I I was definitely in, I I just want to get into, oh, sorry. I was just going to jump in and just um, for people who haven't done their homework or are just listening to this, the, the scale of this is is really enormous. Um, I, I don't think I said it, but the last one that I watched this past winter, uh, they raised over two million dollars at that event. I think they're over there. It's some insane amount. So this isn't 2000 nerds raising ten thousand dollars. This is huge, huge, huge. Um, it's it's really impressive. Well, and I, I think we'll get more into this as we talk more about our other media, but I do think mm-hmm. it is that willingness to work together, that collaborative like sharing of tips and being supportive of other people's endeavors. I mean, that's what makes this a community and not just something that people do, like the engagement with each other is what elevates this from a hobby to a, like a community that people are part of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's segue then from this community in which it were, is getting very good press from the three of us to a much more maligned community, I think in the main pop culture, uh, Martha, go ahead and introduce your homework. Okay. So I made you guys watch a documentary from 2016 called first Sonas. Uh, directed by Dominic Rodriguez and featuring a handful of fairly well-known participants in the furry community. Uh, The documentary follows uh, this handful of people through a couple of years just in their lives. Um, And I think that I've been reading a little bit about it. I think the goal of the documentary was to... I don't know that it started out as a, like, we're going to combat the negative attention that furries get, but I do think it became that because I think the goal of the documentary is to show that these are people, like, these are real people who have functional lives and that no matter what you may have heard, being part of the furry community is no more or less deviant than LARPing, I think, at the end of the day. (laughs) Like, um... But yeah, furries, I think, get a lot of negative, uh, tend to get a lot of negative media and uh, negative media attention. Um, they're really easy to make fun of. Uh, even in other nerdy or geeky communities, they're kind of the low-hanging fruit. Um, so I was really interested in watching a documentary. It turns out the director, who did not tell his crew or the people making this movie with him while they were filming it, but the director is a furry himself. And I don't know that you would know that by watching the documentary i think he did a pretty good job at keeping his own uh personal biases about the community separate from it um but yeah what did you guys think i enjoyed uh, it i thought it was really interesting 
I enjoyed it too. When I saw that you had picked that for the homework, I was like, I don't know if I, I had a sense that I had seen it before. I, I hadn't, but um, I was very excited because I, that's kind of why I picked this topic too, is I like diving into these weird subcultures and communities and stuff. And furries is definitely one that's out there in the, in the public eye, I guess. So, um, um, so it was cool. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, LARPing because I feel like in, in internet and, and nerd culture, furries are at the bottom and then the LARPing is like the next tier up that you can make fun of and then so on and so forth. Um, <laughs> Which is dumb because at the end of the day, that's all this is. It's another kind of LARPing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. This documentary uh, was interesting. I, I agree with you, Martha, for the first half of it, that it did a good job at sort of um, presenting them as people. Um, as it went on, though, it sort of felt like it became a little more insular maybe like like became more uh like it, it started very wide net and then it sort of seemed at the end like it was getting into the specific sort of like politics of the particular like uh furcon or whatever it was called out of um anthrocon anthrocon uh, out of philly and just like the way that the community polices itself um or doesn't uh and it like by the end i felt like it was like, it, it had started with one sort of, like, clear idea, and by the end had been a little more... It, the, the focus had narrowed so much that my interest was waning somewhat. I I, I see why you think that, but when, when I was going through it, I that almost helped it for me. Um, maybe it's because I was viewing it with this lens of, of talking about niche communities, but... They started off and it was just, here are some furries and here's why they are real people. They have families and they think about this stuff too and they see everything in the public eye. When it dived more into the the insular stuff, um, that almost made that point more real to me, that this is a real community of real people who, who really love what they're doing to the point where there is always going to be infighting and rumors and and things like that where they're not a positive part of a community but i think that every community has to have that because it's you know i won't go too much in, into more discussion stuff but it's it's part of having a community is having to fight over those things where people disagree i was also really interested in the ways that the uh the community disagrees about things mm -hmm. Um, particularly when it comes to media representation. Like, I think you have two very distinct views on how the community should be approaching media representation um, or media interaction as kind of on display in the in the documentary, because you have some members of the, some furry community members who are very much like, if we don't get in front of the cameras and tell our own story, they're going to assume whatever they want to about us. And that's when we get into trouble. And then right. there are the people who are like, don't talk to anybody. You're just going to reinforce, like, they're just going to see what they want. And anything you give them is going to be more rope to hang yourselves. Um, so I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was interesting because I think that those kind of I, I don't want to call it like political infighting, but I think that that's kind of I, what it is. I think that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what it is. Um, um, well, and like Austin was saying, like any community of a certain size is going to be having that, especially a more um, like a diffuse one with no clear leadership. Um, Anthrocon has leadership because it um like someone is running it, but like the community as a right. whole, in a way, doesn't. But in other ways, does. Well, right. and it shows that these are people. 
And there mm-hmm. is no one unifying way to talk about any group of people because they're all going to be different. So I thought it was really cool because I, I think that furries tend to get spoken about as this sort of monolithic group. And it was interesting to me since since I don't think we get to see very many representations of what it means for different people to be furries. Like we, we kind of saw it was sort of focused on like people who wear fursuits and like um I don't know if you guys read any of the actual community criticisms of the documentary that I threw up in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the one of the furry community's criticisms of it was that he focuses so heavily on people uh, that participate in like this very one performative kind of way, um, which I thought was the main weakness of the documentary. But also I read a quote from the director who was like, I was limited by who would talk to me. Sure. Totally. Oh, sure. I, um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, or I don't agree, but I, I, I feel like I was looking for more of the other factors of the community. I was hoping to maybe talk with people who didn't own fursuits, you mm-hmm. know, artists or, uh, people who make the fursuit. I, I thought we were maybe going to get one of those people at one point, and I was very excited to hear from their perspective if they were part of the fandom or the community or just like, yeah, I just love, you know, this material or whatever. Um, I did like that they talked to the bad dragon guy um, Mm -hmm. because it was kind of a little bit of another side to it or another facet. I have thoughts and feelings about everybody's thoughts and feelings about the... So for our listeners who may not have watched the documentary, Bad Dragon is a sex toy company that makes fantasy-themed sex toys. Here we go. And one of the, one of the major discussion points in the documentary is how uh, furry, uh, the furry community tends to be seen as an overwhelmingly sexual community, and it's not. But it's also a community made up of people. So <laughs> so, so like, sex happens. Right. And right. I don't think it does anybody any use to deny that wholesale. But just to just to talk about it as one aspect of this community, like it is an aspect of almost every community of people on the planet, mm-hmm. because we are people. <laughs> and and like and to be fair, you know, I, I understand the flip side of it, which is like the number one representation of furries in the pop culture is, and the way that I, uh, uh, Martin had never like heard of furries before somehow. And I was like, it's people who dress up in animal costumes and have sex with each other. Um, right. Because that is like how they are represented. So I can understand the, uh, the community's desire to downplay that since it is the, like, it's the most salacious part of it. Uh, and it's the part that gets the most press, um, but then I, I like the flip side of it is the like puritanical total, you know, burying of it when it is in fact an aspect of the community. Um, Bad Dragon was was brought up because they used to sell at Anthrocon, but then were disinvited um, because they were trying to steer away from any sort of any implication um, of like the sex angle at the con. They wanted to make it as most at, like as family friendly, but also as like presenting a monolithically positive um you know portrayal of furries to not let media representation get the foot in the door of the uh of the like people who dress up in animal costumes and have sex with each other angle 
And I'm on the side of there were there's uh, people in the documentary and I'm on their side with this where it's like denying like pretending that something like that doesn't exist just makes the times when it's mentioned that much more um, like sensational. Yeah. It, it, like it's there's, like when there's you have a, a lot. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say there's a lot of negative backlash to. Um, uh, I guess I was not familiar with the Tyra Banks thing until this documentary because I am not a participant in this community. But I guess Tyra Banks did a special on her talk show about um, fetish communities. I think that was the sense that I got. I'll, I don't know. I'll be honest. I didn't know Tyra Banks had a talk show, so no, I, 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 I was that. removed. I did know that a couple. Yeah, come on. Um, <laughs> but the point is that a couple went on who identify as furries and talked about having sex in their fursuits, and that became the thing that everybody like latched onto. And it's like, I I am on the side of the people in the documentary who are like, they're like they were talking about their experience, um, and it like the rest of us denying that this doesn't happen just makes that more, um, what am I trying to say here? Like it would, it would not be as big of a deal if we didn't have people who are like, pretend it doesn't exist. Right. I, I feel like, and uh, this is what I was trying to inter interrupt with, but it's, it's like a, a, you know, if a kid says a curse and every adult in the room goes, Oh no, it's like, you know, if they if they react so strongly or so negatively to the sex thing themselves, it, it almost brings more attention to it. But Martha, what did you think about with that Tyra thing? They show the clip where the couple is sitting on the bed and both is like, yes, we have sex in our fursuits. Um, and then they enter. It's it's years after the special, but they are talking to that same couple and the woman is like, yeah, we we definitely do that. It's a part of the. It's a part of the fandom. It's a part of the experience for us. And then her partner who was on the show nodding his head before was like, but we actually haven't ever done that. Do you remember that part? I do remember that part. And I remember see, it's it's tough without any kind of follow up from them because right. my initial reaction is to be like, oh, he's trying to. Like he's he's trying to make it so that it hadn't happened like I, I feel like he is kind of like if we deny it now maybe because they as far as I can tell they have kind of been ostracized in the community because of that right. um, mm -hmm. appearance mm -hmm. so I can see where he might be like we have another chance to maybe make this go away <laughs> and she's like and she's like no it, this is the truth and I'm not going to be she came across as very much more of a like this is who I am and I'm not going to be ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, this is pure conjecture. I have no follow-up to support any of this. That was just kind of how I felt um, the two of them came across. I can also see where prior to their appearance on that show, they would have been coached by the producers of the show. Right. I was just going to do that. Yeah. 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 I was going to bring that up and I, I could easily see, you know, the, the idea of like play it up for its maximal effect. Um, on, on the talk show. Um, and then I, I could see him wanting to pull back from that idea. Mm -hmm. Well, that seems like a good place to hold here. Let's segue to our third homework, which is a work of fiction. Um, these two both have been, you know, uh, uh, live streaming gaming is the most raw nonfiction uh, you can have. Uh, and then um, 
a documentary, also nonfiction. I assigned Wolf in White Van by John Darnielle about a man who was involved in a traumatic accident that left him horribly disfigured. And, um... Mm. Oh, oh, yeah, I, I, I know you've got thoughts and I know you'll have some opinions about it and stuff, but uh, who left him horribly disfigured and uh, as a way to get through that, developed a post, a, a role-playing game played over post. So uh, this was in the Played 90s. by mail. Played by mail, thank you. Yeah. Um, this was in the 90s. You send him a, a self-addressed and self-stamped envelope with your turn. He sends you your next turn. Um, and, and it's all through his perspective uh, point of view as he's sort of running this game the game is on a low ebb um but then some people who are playing the game uh is teens uh run away from home and actually like are trying to live out the game to negative consequences martha i know you've got some serious opinions on this one uh first of all it's not an accident he straight tries to kill himself yeah uh but anyway um so my biggest problem with this book is that I don't know how useful it's going to be for our discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, both because the that community, whatever might exist for play-by-mail games, is not really addressed in this book. And when it is, it's not a very positive representation. Um, I don't... I, I looked into... I looked to see if I could try and find if Darnell had done any research about play-by-mail games or if there had been any reaction from... Well, first, actually, I looked to see if play-by-mail games are things that people still do. Uh, They do. They just play by email, which is much more efficient. Right. (laughs) Um, uh, And they tend to be mostly... They tend to be mostly games like Risk or Chess. Chess by Mail has always been huge, continues to be huge. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I actually I found an interview that I I sent to you guys and will post in the the blog post that he Darnell not only did not do any research but as far as he could tell he was making play by mail games up himself which um right his background is, is although... a level is a level of ignorance about a subject that you're writing about that I can't that I have trouble fathoming. His his background uh, is that he worked in uh, healthcare for a long time as a nurse um, in in many treatment centers uh, and also is a large role-playing game fan and and player himself. uh, Which is all fine. Right. But if you're going to write about something, don't you do research about it? Um, But mostly, so, so you have Sean, the main character of the of the book who is also the first person narrator the only players of his that we get to know i don't think are presented in a very positive way Mm -hmm. so i was kind of interested to know if there had been any negative reactions from people who play actual play-by-mail games and as far as i can tell no one cared Mm -hmm. um so i yeah as a as a portrait of this community i don't think this book is that's not what it's trying to do. Um, and then in terms of reactions of people who actually participate in these, I couldn't find any material. So I just don't know how much we're going to have to talk about it in relation to our discussion. Right. My I, yeah. uh, w- w- One thing here is, as, as I was reading it, I was reminded, like, not only play-by-mail now is obviously done over email, because obviously better that way. Uh, but also, I like, I remember in the, the mid-aughts in forum culture, there would be um, 
like RPGs done over forums, uh, which is a little more like that's a lot more collaborative and community based. It's communal storytelling effectively. Um, mm-hmm. But this reminded me, you know, more than anything of that and how that would sort of evolve into like forum telling um, like the kids who would be uh, playing this game might, you know, be getting into that instead. Um when I did assign this, I did assign it, like, with some mental caveats of, like, we'll see how good it is. I wanted a book. I wanted fiction, uh, since the other two were not, so. Um, uh, I almost wonder if a better parallel would be people who play ARG games, since we have the, and, and what is an ARG game? Augmented yeah. reality game. Mm-hmm. Oh. So something like Pokemon Go or Niantic that, like, lays... Um, lays a like a virtual reality over the world i think there are some uh there's at least one app that is a game that you can take out running that creates zombies <laughs> that you are then running away from yep i've oh, used yeah. that uh, cool but like lance and carrie the two teens in the book who get in trouble because they actually go out into the real world and try to play this play-by-mail game as though it's real are treating it almost like an uh, augmented reality game. So I wonder if that might be a better parallel um, than the play-by-forum or, like, text-based RPGs, which I don't think are really the same thing. Right, right. I, I think you're right. Yeah. Awesome. For me, yeah. this was this was a, a really good... I, I liked having this homework, uh, especially with the other two, because it helped me kind of crystallize my thought on what a community is. But almost as a negative example... Um, so it, I liked that I, I, I enjoyed reading it and I, I thought that it was great for this topic, but because when I got done, I was like, wait a second, I don't think Sean is a member of any community and I don't think the players are a member of a community, mm-hmm. um, because there's, there's no interaction, there's nothing. And maybe that's the difference between if it was on a forum or something, or I don't know, maybe a male, uh, a RPG by male could be could have a sense of community um, and could be fun. But when I started reading it, I was like, oh, RPG by mail. That sounds very cool. I am super into this idea. And then when it got to the end, I was a little bit disenchanted with the idea just because of how um, there really wasn't a a sense of community. I don't know if there is a thing. I, I think I would prefer it to email. It sounds just as a brief aside, it sounds like it has some promise. You know, you could do like cool physical mail stuff. Oh, sure. Um, like when, when he sent the guy the scalpel. Yeah. Yeah. Like stuff. Yeah. Maybe don't send scalpels. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He does comment like, ooh, I should not have done that. Yeah. 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 But he he almost has a couple chances to get some community out of this. Um, and I feel like he turns them away. And yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about his his character um and the choices he makes and everything but in terms of community this was almost like yeah look how you can you can have a bunch of people doing the same thing and you can have somebody who organizes it and you can have common interests but no community my my... it's almost aggressively anti-community exactly yeah or at least sean sean in particular is like aggressively anti <laughs> for for many reasons my my yeah. thought on this and austin i'm glad you brought it up is that if we were to draw like communities as like you know maps like node maps this is mm-hmm. one where it's just one node in the center and spokes going out in all directions but none of those other outside nodes touch each other 
Um, exactly. I whereas, think that's a big factor. He yeah. also doesn't even interact between, like, he do, he doesn't connect. They don't connect through him even, which could be maybe another right. way for that to work. There's no, like, it's not even a, you know, a cult of personality around him, um, which, you know, maybe that would be more community-esque. Right, like, it, it, it is a lot of one-to-one relationships with no... <laughs> no bridging in between which which i think you're right like does not make a community the community is defined by the way that like the the web of relationships becomes entangled and enmeshed and people know each other and meet each other through it Mm -hmm. and other things connect and splintering and off groups and everything like that (laughs) and then quickly you have really annoying politics like in the fursona documentary (laughs) yes and i i should say uh I'll say just very briefly because I've wanted to say it a couple times, but there is that in speedrunning too. Um, I definitely just take it as something that I enjoy watching and I don't kind of dive into it, but there, there are a lot of, you know, policing the media around those events and who's in there and who has a voice and what can people say and all those things. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like for, especially for an event that is going to raise money, like there's definitely got to be kind of an attitude of who can we have that will attract attention and donations which if you're not a well-known like if you yourself are not already well-known by the time a big event like this comes out i feel like that limits your pos- your uh, chances of getting um focus in the community mm-hmm. yeah there's also i think um at least for the speedrunning thing and it seemed like uh they kind of hinted at this in the in the furries uh doc in personas as well but um there's a big swath of a wide variety of people in both of those communities um you know especially when you talk about when you take a cross-section of gamers and niche gamers there are people who would never want to see each other or talk to each other um, unless they were in this community, Mm. Um, you know, politically or however. um, There's definitely a a lot of things that could come to a head and sometimes do, but I get the feeling that most often they don't because everybody loves what they're doing at at that particular time. Like you you can bury your personal issues because there's the, the larger framework that you're both, you know, doing the thing that you like doing. Right. We have a question up on the discussion notes. Um, is the community that Sean creates in his head less valid for not actually existing? This is we're, we're we're talking about what makes a niche community, what does or doesn't define it. I think we can all agree that um, Trace Italian and the other play by mail games that Sean has created don't create a community in the real world because there isn't one. It's just him interacting one on one. But he's also creating, you know, in his own mind, a fictional community or a fictional world um and i i feel like we're all going to agree that this is not a valid community in the sense of like you know it's fine to do that as an individual but it doesn't you know create an an actual community i put that on there because i feel like one of the questions that the book is asking us to engage in is how much because the book is very internal so it's how much of what sean experiences is real Mm -hmm. and including a lot of the stuff that happens in his head. And is that like, is that, are those things less valid for being 
just in his head. It's it's the it's the infamous Dumbledore like just because you imagined it doesn't make it not real or just because it's happening in your head doesn't make it not real. Mm-hmm. Um I for the purpose like for the for the kinds of communities we are talking about, like it might be real for Sean, but it's not real. Right. I think is where is where the answer for that falls down. And like if it helps him, cool. Clearly it does because he has found a way to function in the world sort of um, in a way that works for him. But I don't think that that means I, I, I'm not sure that gives it real world validity. If that makes sense and isn't too condescending. No, I, I, I think that's exactly my take on it as well. Um, one thought is that we like for, for, for the other two homeworks we've been like mentioning and talking about like how complicated and messy their community politics can get. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that most, um, let's call it fictional communities or um, like, like to describe Sean's internal um, self-created community, those usually don't get to that level um, because since it's, it's a narrative that you're telling yourself, you can gloss over all the sticky parts of it. Um, it, You know, if you create friction, you do it for a particular reason. Whereas in the real world that can happen for an infinite number of reasons. So I, I think that real communities are just inherently going to be very messy because anytime you get more than like three people together in a room trying to do something, uh, you know, differences are, are, can can lead to messiness. And the only people at the end of the day who exist in Sean's community are the people he imagines. Right. Like even though there's a real person on the other end of his correspondence, which we see with Lance and Carrie, um, when he the way that he interacts with them is via a piece of paper and some text. So he gets to imagine the kind of full person that exists on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. And he can make them whatever he needs or wants them to be. Right. Yeah. I I think Sean and and what the communities he created, it it almost felt very flawed to me, um, how he was thinking about community and, Maybe that's why he was avoiding some of the real world connections that could have been a real community is that he has a a flawed understanding of what that is. Because even when he creates it in his head, he is not a member of that community. It it very much felt like a kid looking at an ant farm Mm -hmm. um, or with the, the Conan imagery, like him ruling over something, having visibility from, you know, behind a curtain or from above everything. Um, it made me reflect, it's making me reflect now as I'm talking more about it too, on my own like interaction with communities because I am usually not a super social person and kind of like a lurker on various forums or, you know, uh, consuming the, the content of different communities, but like the gate, the speed running, I don't speed run. Uh, I haven't donated yet although i planned after watching the last one that the one that i next one that i can get live i want to do that but what are your thoughts on that maybe within your your own communities um like when do you become a member of it and is it bad to not cross that line i am very interested in this question particularly in connection to um how the internet is changing what communities can look like and can be. Right. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah, I I would say that I have been a lurker, which is somebody who observes but does not participate in 
tons of communities over mm-hmm. the years based completely on my access to the internet and like, oh, that's cool. I want to read all about this thing. Um, it's it's sort of the difference between like participating in a fandom and observing the fandom. Like I can be a fan of something, but if I don't participate or engage with other fans, I don't know that I would call myself part of that fandom. Mm-hmm. I think part of it too I, is self-identification. Um, you know, you could go LARPing once and not consider yourself a LARPer, or you could go LARPing many times. You know, like it, it's not just participation; it's also like developing that as your own identity. I think it is both. I think you have to have both self-identification and also participation. I think the yes. word community implies participation. So I think you can be an observer of something and appreciate it and be interested in it, but I don't know that you can call yourself a member of that community without a certain level of engagement. So what about something like um, both speedrunning and furrydom work here? Because speedrunning is, um, you know, you're watching someone do the speedrun. Do you think you'd have to be someone who's either working behind the scenes on like figuring out new hacks to get it faster or someone doing the runs um, to be part of the community? Or could you just be somebody who follows and donates and is engaged with them, but doesn't actually do the performative aspect of what the community is based around? And then similarly with furrydom, do you need to be in a fursuit or can you just be someone who likes drawing, uh, you know, pictures? Right. I, Go ahead, Go ahead. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think I absolutely think that you can that you don't have to be doing the thing. Um, yes. I think a lot of the criticism I, I mentioned this briefly, but a lot of the criticism for the Fursonas documentary is that they don't show the people who create art or are you know LARP their for their fursona on a forum, but don't actually own a fursuit like that. It is it is engagement. It does not have to be. Like if I'm somebody on a, a speedrunning forum who like I have my speedrunners that I like to watch and I, um, you know, I chat with other appreciators. I, you know, watch the awesome games done quick. I donate. I am engaged with the people who are doing the thing, but I'm not actually doing the thing myself. I think I'm still part of that speedrunning community, even if I am not a speedrunner. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I think for yeah. to be part of the furry, uh, to be part of the furry community, I think the minimum is that you have, or maybe not even, but like an appreciation for um, this kind of anthropomorphized animal. I don't want to say kingdom. That sounds so bad. <laughs> um, but it, it almost feels like the kind of thing where you can have a persona, but maybe you don't because you just haven't figured out what that looks like yet. Maybe you are a person who creates fursuits for people, um, but you just, and like you have a, an appreciation for that work that goes into it. Like you're clearly part of that community at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you're not engaging in all aspects of it uh, at the current time. I don't know. I just, I think engagement is a loose qualifier, but that's okay. Yeah. I completely agree. I, I think I'll speak to the speedrunning one, but yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe donation is kind of a, a gray area on that line. I feel like 
that's definitely a box I could check to say like I am a member of this community but it still feels like if I'm just tuning into the like twice a year events and I'm not on Twitch following these guys and commenting back or um, you know doing a speedrun or helping like the donation is an easy way to have some participation but I don't know if I donate and then say oh I'm a speedrunner well, uh, the day after and this is where the self-identification kicks in as well um, right because exactly. you know like I I watched the Super Bowl I am not a football fan <laughs> um, right. you know so so similarly here also I also think like who am I to tell somebody that they're not part of a community sure yeah like I especially never... especially for something like the furry community where i feel like you could probably be a silent watcher on those forums have like your fursona worked out but not having engaged with anybody not being an active participant in that and like who am i i'm not going to be the one to tell you like oh you're not a real furry because you haven't like made friends in the community yet like that's not my place that's not right. my business right right yeah what is the uh term for we don't want to is gating something like that uh gatekeeping gatekeeping thank you martha yeah i i think that's a great point one one thing with the speed running and with the furries and thinking about communities i i get this feeling that sometimes you have to maybe the, the gatekeepers say well you're not public about it for a lot of other uh, communities, um, like you don't have the sticker on your car or you don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. But furries are really interesting. And I think this is where a lot of kind of the infighting comes from is because it's a very private, risky thing still. So it's kind of unique where, you know, there's, there's very little criticism of people being like, well, you don't wear your fursuit to work, so you're not a real furry. Um, but I think that's where the internet comes in with this too, is if it's, I don't know, sorry, that was a little disjointed, but if something is hidden, then are you part of that community or not? Well, it, it's like you have the spectrum from the, the people who are being interviewed, um, and, and we're very fine showing their face. And then the one, uh, person who like didn't want to show his face, um, or use his real name. Um, I don't yeah. think they use real names for anyone, but, uh, regardless, like, um, no, I guess there was the person who thought he was a dog. Like, they used the name that he prefers to go by in real life, too. And that's sort of the spectrum of openness. Um, and because I think, like you said, Austin, it is still a, uh, like, a maligned community, I feel like there isn't the sense of, like, well, if you're not wearing it proudly on your sleeve, you're not part of it. Because there's an understanding in the community that some people can and some people can't. Mm-hmm. Austin, you just mentioned the internet as well, and I think that's something that we've been talking around a lot, like it's just naturally been part of our communication um, about this, because it's omnipresent. Um, obviously, Wolf in White Van, the heyday is set before the internet really existed in the early 90s, um, whereas as these two communities, speedrunning can only exist because of the internet in the way it currently does, like, you know, watching it on Twitch or, or YouTube streams or what have you. Um, in the Fursona documentary, they mentioned that in the 90s with the internet, they, there was an explosion in the community as, as more people found out about it and found each other. So what role is the internet playing in changing and reshaping how all these communities are interacting? And is it always a good role? There are two things I think at play here. One is that the internet has made it possible for people to connect who could not connect before. 
uh, which has, I think, led to a spirit. And this is very double-edged, so we will get into both the positive and the negative uh, aspects of it. Um, but it's basically meant that most communities are open to anyone who can find them now, um, which I think is a good thing, but I think has also made a lot of those communities a little bit more defensive. Because, like, if anyone can join, then how do... But if anyone can join, <laughs> do we want everyone to join? Right, right. Mm -hmm. And also, like, are you a real member or a f poser? Uh, which has always been a problem in nerd culture. We've talked about that before on the podcast before. Yes, and because <laughs> the internet makes communication so much easier, like, that's wonderful, but also leads to a lot of this uh austin you brought up gatekeeping behavior before um so i i think that the internet has made communities like this possible in a way that has never been possible before um but also has led to a lot of kind of gross defensive um behavior mm -hmm. sure I think the internet, just to speak to my homework, the speed running, it's certainly communication, but also the technology of just doing these games uh, was required, and the internet helps with that a lot, just being able to stream these games and share, share it with people and share strategies and things like that. The other factor that I think is super interesting, I'm sure there's a lot of this in furrydom too, but uh, this, like, patron relationship because a lot of these speedrunners mm. stream on twitch mm -hmm. and a lot of them it seems are at least like it's a significant part of their life that they stream these games you know they make an income from it which was never possible before so that's where i think you know there there were speedrunners and game completionists and stuff before but never could you have a 15 year old kid who's doing multiple like two hour Super Mario 64 runs a day, getting to the point where he can beat the world record and do something just amazing. Um, you know, it takes hours and hours and weeks of, of practice for some of these world record people. And that's obviously going to change the communities in a way as well when you start, you know, quasi-professionalizing like that. Um, yeah. You, you guys mentioned earlier, like, who gets invited to, uh, was it ADSQ? AD Awesome Games. ADG. ADG. Awesome Games. Quick, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, who gets invited to those are the big names who are going to draw in good donations and, and good viewership and everything. Um, and then when those people are then able to monetize it, you create, you know, a class system <laughs> within a community. And I'm sure they don't think of it that way. Um, but, like, yeah. but that, but but when that money, is an element. When money, and when money gets involved, you're also now talking about what could be seen as, like, a new brand of legitimacy, like, I am a more real speed gamer because I make money off of it um, than somebody who just does it as a hobby, which, because we're human beings, uh, leads to some, I think it, it must lead to some stratification. Uh, I mean, you see this in the, the comics community very, very distinctly. Like, the people who make webcomics but have full-time jobs mm -hmm. are seen by certain... By, not all, because there are definitely comics professionals that are not assholes, but can be seen as like, oh, you're just a hobbyist. You're not a real, like, you're not a real comic artist because you're not doing this for money. Right. Real quick with that, uh, just on the speedrunning side, I think they're just to kind of uh, 
brag about the the thing that I like and picked, but it, it does feel, at least from my limited view on it, that it's, uh, it has a lot of equality because at the end of the day, the people who are going, the people who draw attention are the fastest runners. So there's not too much of like, oh, they are, you know, sponsored by Monster or something. It's the people with the times and someone can come out of nowhere and speed run a game that's never been speed run before, do it really impressively and and go present it at, at a GDQ event. Um, For sure. Yes, I, but then I would also be curious as because I, I feel like it takes time to get good at that. Of course. So you know time tends to be the the kind of great like privilege factor in a lot of these things like do you have the time to get really really good at this thing mm-hmm. yeah um it just happens to be something where the people who are are putting in that time would put in that time otherwise so it's not like getting into a new um you know they are they are gamers and then often become speed runners so they've they've already done it a lot or would be doing it anyway and then they can just be like oh i'll just flip this a little bit and then i can be a speed runner and, and beat a time um the other factor that I, I think is really cool is the fact that people run like old games and old things so it's not like you have to have the most amazing gaming rig pc to speed run um, you can do it on your old NES, or you can do it on an emulator on a crappy laptop um, and compete mm-hmm. with the best of them, depending on the game that you're running. Right, right. That is very cool. <laughs> right. Pete, I think the answer to your question is, as with all things related to the internet, is that it is both good and bad. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, it I, has led, I think it has very, very much led to the increase in awareness and accessibility to these communities, but... Along with that, I think also comes um, more gatekeeping, more defensive behavior. Um, obviously, for the uh, furry community, there is this um, stigma against the media just because they have been so badly portrayed for so long. And the internet doesn't help with the spread of fake news, as we all know very intimately. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my one additional plug here is is I think the internet, for both good and bad, allows all of these communities to... Um, like explode in numbers. Um, I think that's really good mm-hmm. when you're doing something like raising money. Like they, um, the games done quick could never raise anything like that money if it were, you know, just a bunch of, you know, local people who are into it getting together in a hotel room and watching it there and not having the community mm-hmm. outside. Um, and and ditto with with any sort of con, you know, con type mentality. Having a good, you know. Gen Con used to be in Milwaukee, then it got too big, kind of because it got more and more popular as people, more people found out about it. All right, well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Austin, thanks so much for joining us this week. Yeah, of yeah, course, it was you. a blast. Um, yeah. If you want people to find you online, where could they find you? Uh, I usually don't want people to find me so i don't have a good method for them to do that now that i'm like oh that would maybe be cool (laughs) so i guess keep your eyes and ears open cool uh we've we've had a good run then of people who are like i'm not on the internet for ways for people to find me (laughs) so i'm not on twitter guys (laughs) right um however both martha and i are on twitter as is the show so martha where can people find you you can find me everywhere because unlike many of our more discerning guests, I am an attention hog uh, <laughs> on all social media. I can be found at Magical Martha. 
All right, and you can find me on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at D-Y-D-Y-H. Podcast? Podcast. Great, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can find the show on Twitter at D-Y-D-Y-H Podcast, and you can find us on Facebook at did you do your homework on Facebook? Whatever, it's Facebook. Uh, find us at, on the web at homeworkpodcast.com. And uh, obviously, please rate and review us wherever you are listening to this. Um, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever it might be. Go ahead, give us that rate and review so that the algorithm elves can make us more popular and we will become our own niche community. If you want to get in touch with us, you can drop us an email at uh, homework at, nope, I show am... at homeworkpodcast.com this is why i copy and paste all of this thing all these things into the show notes usually uh, we should consider we should consider just recording the outro and just playing it at the end of every episode yeah but then you don't yes. get fun things like this like me just whiffing <laughs> on every single element <laughs> you gotta hit those podcast tropes you right gotta confuse everything every time like every other podcast <laughs> well then i'll just feel bad that we're not sponsored by blue apron <laughs> Uh, all right, so so you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. For our next episode, we're going to be doing something a little bit new. It's going to be the first of a two-part series. Next episode is about toxic masculinity, and the episode after that is going to be about antiheroes. Uh, I think they're definitely linked in our culture, and it'll be nice to draw these two together. So your homework for next week is going to be Season 1, Episode 1, of The Sopranos, that er show of the golden age of television uh, that also deals with a lot of toxic masculinity. Uh, that's coming from me. Coming from Martha is a young adult novel, Devils Within by S.F. Henson. And our third chair guest for next week is Caitlin Hofert. She's assigning a number of TED Talks uh, by speakers Jake's, uh, Jackson Katz and Tony Porter. We're going to post the actual links to those TED Talks on the website, so go take a look at those. Uh, but it looks like Jackson Katz is an anti-sexism educator, and Tony Porter is an author, educator, and activist. So nice that we're bringing in some TED Talks, uh, get some actual learning in here, rather than just riffing on pop culture. That's all the time we have for this week. Do your homework for next week, and class dismissed.